to the vent room where respiratory therapists can come and get a little inspiration. I'm your host, Dr. Tabitha Dragonberry. Today, we're talking with author, advocate, and founder of the Healthy Workforce Institute, Renee Thompson. Dr. Renee Thompson is an anti-bullying thought leader and keynote speaker. In her book, Enough, she discusses the strategies for frontline leaders to eradicate bullying and incivility in healthcare. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Thompson. Well, thank you for having me, Tabitha. Any day that I get to talk to an audience about addressing the badness in healthcare is a good day. So I sought you out as a guest because of some social media posts that I saw online from respiratory therapists. Um, there was a person who was reaching out to a social network because she was asking if if anyone's ever left a job because of bullying. And to my surprise, there were so many people that responded stating that they've been bullied at work. And in the field of medicine where we care for sick people and make them better, and we are, what are the contributing factors that cause professionals to bully in this field when we are supposed to be caring for each other and our patients. Yeah, isn't it bizarre? I mean, seriously, we can be so caring and compassionate to our patients, but we can be so cruel to each other. And there are actually a lot of different theories out there. Well, first of all, think about the environments that we're working in life and death situations, the unpredictability of patient care. We work in high stress situations constantly. And seriously, Tabitha, think about it. We're not on our best behavior when we're under a lot of stress. So what do we do? We lash out at each other. So that's one of the reasons because we haven't really taught each other good coping mechanisms. We just, you know, let's say a patient crashes and, you know, the respiratory therapist runs in and they're doing the bagging and the nurse comes in and the physicians and they're trying to save a life. And then you work on this patient for 45 minutes and the patient dies. What do you do after? You sit around in the break room and talk about, you know, how, how are you? You did a great job. Would you like a cup of tea? No, you go rushing back to the patients you've been ignoring for the last 45 minutes. So we don't teach good coping mechanisms. And then I really hate to say this as a woman. I hate to admit this, but when you look at healthcare, and I'm a nurse, so especially in nursing, 90% of us are women. But collectively across the board, the majority of people who work in healthcare are female. And let's face it, ladies, we're not always that nice to each other. It's terrible when I've seen, like, I'd work, rather work in a department where most everyone were male than if most everyone were female. Because we, we see this, you know, mean girl behavior that started in middle school that some of these women have just never transitioned into adulthood. They still have that meanness in them. So those are two of the reasons that I think we see more uh, bullying and disruptive behaviors in healthcare. And I, I think it's important, though, that we mention or talk a little bit about the fact that not all bad behavior is bullying. You know, a lot of what we see in healthcare is incivility. It's not bullying at all. It's incivility, which is equally as bad. 
So do I dare say that in healthcare we have an epidemic of bad behavior or is this something that just goes back to that mentality of eating our young in the field, putting them through the trials and tribulations of what we th- went through, even though the environment of healthcare has changed so much? Oh, it's definitely an epidemic. I, I think um, we're hearing more about it because people are talking more about it, because some of the larger organizations are now holding healthcare uh, um, organizations, um, they're holding them accountable for addressing disruptive behaviors. I mean, the Joint Commission now, they've had this for years where organizations have to address any complaints of disruptive behavior, and we're looking more at workplace violence. So people are starting to speak up. However, people say, well, maybe it's the same it's just now we're talking about it. And I would tell you that while that may be true, we're seeing more and more disruptive behaviors in healthcare. So I absolutely would agree that it's an epidemic right now. And that's why, you know, we I have a whole company devoted to doing something about it. I'll give you a classic. This happens every organization, probably in every single department that really speaks to what you just asked me. How many of us have worked with someone? who let's say that person's been in the department for a long time and you hire somebody new. And what we'll say is, oh, you know what? She says anything rude to you. I mean, that's just her personality. She's a great respiratory therapist. He's a great physician. They're just not very nice to people. Don't take it personally. Or, um, you know, you're going to have to uh, grow a thick skin if you're going to want to survive here. We justify someone's bad behavior Usually it's because they're so good at what they do. And I've heard so many people say, well, this is just my personality. I'm not all puppies and flowers like you. Here's where the impact is with that. Here's what people don't realize is happening. If if your personality is so strong, so abrasive, intimidating, okay, that someone doesn't feel comfortable communicating with you, It stops the flow of information. And when we stop the flow of information, that affects someone's mom, dad, spouse, child. I have a grandbaby now, so that affects my grandbaby. Not okay. But you know what I mean, Tabitha? We justify someone's bad behavior and even say, well, that's just their personality. Don't don't take it personally. I say that's that we have to stop that. We have to stop justifying somebody's bad behavior just because it's their personality and they've been there for decades or they're really good at what they do. At the same time, when you think about it, right? So now uh, patient satisfaction scores are tied to reimbursement and the money that's coming back to the hospital. If that person with that bad behavior would be treating their patients like this, I don't know how administration would feel if they're getting the reimbursement and satisfaction scores are decreasing. I mean, I think one of my favorite leaders in industry is um, the gentleman from Virgin Atlantic. And he says, you know what? Yes, it's about the customers, but I treat my employees first and they will then give me the satisfaction and give those patients the care that they need. So if you actually focus on your organization and your people, number one, 
they will produce. Yeah, I absolutely agree. There's even a, a book and I, by, written by two gentlemen, and I can't remember their names. This was a few years ago, but they basically, I don't even remember the title of the book, but the gist of it was patients come second, your employees come first. And I, I think, and to your point where you said, you know, are, they're, um, are they treating their patients that way? I actually find that some of the people who work in healthcare who are very disruptive, they tend to not be disruptive right to the patient. But here's what happens, because I've done a lot of research and I've talked to, gosh, thousands and thousands of people who work in healthcare. And up until two years ago, I still practice as a bedside nurse. So, I mean, I have, you know, current knowledge. There's a, the number, number one most common way disruptive behaviors show up in healthcare is there is yelling, cursing, gossiping, criticizing, in patient care areas, sometimes in front of the patient, like right there in the room. But a lot of times it's happening out in the hallway or in that centralized nurse's station. Like, I don't know what makes any one of us think that there's this invisible force field out around the nurse's station that nobody can hear what you say. I mean, patients and families can hear everything. And so sometimes that let's say it's a physician or it's a clinician, a nurse practitioner, they're super kind to the patient, but then they walk out in the hallway and they start, you know, criticizing or yelling, you know, uh, you know, or treating somebody with cruelty without realizing that the patient hears that too. Definitely true. I know I've, I've observed that. I know I lecture on cultural competence and rather than just talking about being culturally competent, I discuss the need for cultural humility, which goes beyond knowing and recognizing people's differences. Many times people shrug off the jokes. Um, but what does bullying in healthcare look like today or incivility, right? Because we said there's two different things. Yeah, well, and I think maybe it would be important for your audience, your listeners to understand the difference, because, again, people call all bad behavior bullying. And when you do that, you really do a disservice because not everything is bullying. So uh, in the United States, at least, we don't really have a legal definition for bullying. We have a legal definition for harassment, for discrimination, but not for bullying. But generally speaking, the um, agreed upon definition is it's Basically, the repeated patterns of disruptive behavior with the conscious, I know I'm doing this to you, or unconscious attempt to do harm. And when somebody reaches out to me and they, they want to you know, sort of pick my brain or they'll say, I don't know if I'm being bullied or not, I always look for three things. First, there needs to be a target. So let's say, Tabitha, I work with you and another group of respiratory therapists, and I'm fine with everybody else. I just don't like you. So anytime I work with you, I find a reason to criticize you. I set you up for failure. I undermine anything that you say or do. I'm fine with everybody else. It's just you. So that target could be one person or a small group of people. Maybe it's, you know, you had mentioned about, you know, we eat our young. Maybe I'm an experienced RT or a nurse and I've been in that organization for decades and I don't like any of you young whippersnappers coming in thinking you know all that. So I will target all the new people, but there has to be a target. The second criteria is that it has to be harmful. So if I roll my eyes at someone, is that harmful to them? Like, think about it. Eye rolling by itself, is that harmful? It's really not. I mean, it's not nice, but it's not harmful. 
But if I don't give you all the information that you need to go in and care for that patient because I want to set you up to fail and make you look bad, now we're talking harm. And then the third criteria, the behavior has to be repeated over time. It can't just be one time I get testy with you in a crisis situation. And what I find in organizations, I do a lot of consulting. So I kind of go in, I pull back the covers and I lift up the gown to sort of, you know, see what's going on underneath. And what I find is actually not a lot of bullying. You'd be surprised. There's not really a whole lot of bullying, but there's an awful lot of incivility. Incivility is that low level, disrespectful, condescending behavior. It's the gossip, the eye rolling, the, you know, mocking, I, you know, favoritism. That's what we see more in, in healthcare. And I think in general and in other industries as well, we see way more incivility. Now, the good news is if you can actually identify somebody's bullying, that's sort of easy to address. You tend to have policies about that. But incivility, that's culture. And you're talking about, you know, cultural competence. How do you shift a culture? And that's where it's just not a one thing, check a checkbox type, because the culture in any department has been built brick by brick over time. So, yeah, it's um, I'm glad to hear that you're doing this work on culture, because that's a lot of what I do, too. It's more culture change than anything. And I think people need to realize that, you know, sometimes your supervisor getting on you about certain things, if they're making you held accountable that is not necessarily bullying because I know that people throw the words around a lot and being held accountable for the work that you do is not incivility or bullying. But there are times that a supervisor could be um, bullying or being incivil with you. Oh, absolutely. It's funny. Every time I do one of my you know foundational workshops and I actually have an online course that goes through this, too. Uh, but I say, here's what bullying is not. It's not the boss holding the employee accountable for their performance. And I use this, you know, story. Uh, I exaggerated it a little bit, but, you know, for effect, um, somebody reached out to me and they said, my boss is the bully. I'm like, all right, well, what did your boss do? My boss wrote me up. What did your boss write you up for, for calling off? How many times did you call off? 57 times. Okay, it really wasn't 57. It was like 12 times. But I'm like, that's not bullying. When your boss is holding you accountable for your job, that's not bullying. But a lot of times, as soon as you confront someone, they pull that bullying card. Um, constructive feedback, constructive criticism is not bullying. And this is something, Tabitha, that I, I think the listeners, it's important to understand this. This is what's happening. We talk about, is there an epidemic? You know, we look at trends. There's a trend right now, especially with young people coming into healthcare. We're not going to have this conversation, but let's just say they're not used to getting constructive feedback. Well, what's happening is they're new, they're learning, and they usually have some type of preceptor. And that preceptor may be giving them feedback. And what's happening is they're calling it bullying. They're saying my preceptor's bullying me when in reality, it's just giving constructive feedback. And so... You know, I, I, we all have to get really clear on what bullying is, what bullying is not. 
it's not the boss holding you accountable. It's not feedback. It's not conflict. It's not having a different opinion. It is when you've targeted someone, the behavior is harmful. And we're always looking at harm to a patient and it has to be repeated over time, not just one time you're having a bad day. So in organizations that have a problem with incivility, how does this affect the organization overall? Oh, well, think about it. There are numerous negative impacts. We know, and I could probably spend the next rest of the day citing study after study. We know that when organizations ignore disruptive behaviors, okay, they use silence as a strategy, that there's a, an impact to the workforce um, in general. If people don't feel supported, if people don't feel that they can um, rely on their coworkers, they don't feel that their voice is being heard and they're being picked on constantly, they'll leave. We know this. And the studies right now, they vary. They vary anywhere from like 23 up to 73% of people are either leaving an organization because of bullying um, or, you know, bad behavior or they're actively looking for a new job. Think about the financial impact of that. Um, there's a great article that I read not too long ago about, you know, so, you know, I'm a nurse. So most of what my knowledge is, is um, uh, in the nursing world, but to replace one experienced nurse, it can be upwards towards $145,000 in one year to replace that nurse, especially if that, again, that nurse has, experience and they have a specialty. So we know that there's a negative impact to the workforce. They will leave. We also, and that's a high cost to the organization. We also know that there's a negative impact to the person. Think about this. If every time you come into work, you have like a visceral reaction when you see who you have to work with, you probably know this, Tabitha. When you come into work, you don't really look at your assignments or what what um, patients you're going to be doing work with. You look to see who you're actually working with because that will make or break your time at work. And there's psychological, emotional, mental, spiritual stress on individuals who are being bullied. And ultimately, though, it impacts patient outcomes for many of the reasons that we've already talked about. Patients in an environment where bad behavior goes ignored suffer the most. They suffer the consequences. So what are your thoughts on why organizations are not effectively setting behavioral expectations and equipping leaders to prevent the bullying and incivility in their organization? Yeah, it's like, these are not the droids you're looking for. We have no bullying here. I hear it all the time. There are some organizations that don't want to admit that they have a problem because as soon as they admit it, they look bad in the eyes of the public. And so a lot of times they just won't call attention to it. Sometimes it's just that they have such competing priorities that if they're looking at the resources, because, you know, in healthcare now, we have limited resources and they're even getting more limited. And they tend to focus on those things that draw reimbursement. Um, and, you know, rightly so. I mean, I totally understand it. But when you've got the executives who are really being held accountable for the bottom line, social skills, soft skills, which some people call this, tend to get pushed aside. But it's so thoughtless because they don't realize that a lot of the issues could be solved if you address the disruptive behaviors, because 
again, study after study shows that when people feel that they work in a psychologically safe environment where they can speak up, that they feel that they're they're free from um, being attacked by their coworkers, that they actually provide better care, which leads to better reimbursement. They stay, okay, which leads to better, you know, cost savings for them. But sometimes they just it's like, what do you call it? Cut off your nose to spite your face. There's so many different ways that we could say this, but they're penny wise, pound foolish. Yeah. And sometimes the executives don't think that there's a problem and they're choosing to ignore it. So in another social media post, uh, a person mentioned that like a physical altercation between two co-workers at work where the police actually had to be, be called. I mean, can these situations be a one-off event or was there something there that there's a bigger problem that really got ignored that it actually became physical? Uh, well, that's, that's actually a, a great question. Um, Sometimes when I'm doing these, uh, you know, workshops, I'll give a situation. I'll say, okay, here's what happened. You know, this person did this. Is this bullying? Uh, I had I have one that I use all the time where there was an altercation between two people got physical. They normally had gotten along before. Just this day, they had a heated discussion and it got physical. Is that bullying? The answer is no. It's a single act of aggression which is different from bullying. Some people think if it's just one time somebody's really cruel to you or there's physical violence, that that's bullying. And it's not. It's, again, a single act of aggression. Sometimes it's like a pressure cooker where you've got two employees who are, they don't get along. They don't like each other. Nobody's addressing it. And so they just fester, fester, fester. They zing each other back to the point where it escalates into physical violence. But sometimes it is just somebody's having maybe a personal crisis. And and you know, Tabitha, not everybody's mentally healthy either. There are some people who are doing the very best that they can to cope with a mental health illness. And sometimes they, you know, they're just not, they have a day where they're not capable and aggression comes out. And, you know, not always, but sometimes that happens too. So to answer your question, it depends. It can be a buildup or it can just be a fluke, single act of aggression. It needs to be addressed, no doubt about it. Right. That's what I was about to say. I think either way, right? If for the employees who see that and the employees who went through it, um, there has to be that healing, right? Because we spend most of our time at work. You know, realistically, you spend more time at work than you do at home because half the time you're sleeping when you're at home anyway. But it's definitely a problem. So people don't like change, even when change is for the better. And organizational change is never easy. For organizations reaching out to the Healthy Workforce Institute, and they've recognized they have a problem either with bullying or more likely incivility, how do you assess the magnitude of the problem and make a game plan to improve the workplace culture? Well, that's our specialty. And it's kind of funny. You know, I just started my company. It's been almost 10 years now. I just really started as a speaker. I wanted to be a keynote speaker and um, good on a stage. And I love the audience and chose the topic of bullying because I just couldn't sit around and say, well, that's just the way it is. I had to do something about it. And from there, it really grew because people wanted more and more. So it grew to workshops, seminars and then consulting. And, you know, again, I have an online program. 
And here's what always happens. An organization will reach out, like you said, and they recognize that they have a problem and they're not really sure what to do first. Because I've seen this. Organizations get together and they'll say, okay, we've got this problem and we're losing 50% of our you know, new staff because of bullying. And then they sit around a table and they talk about what to do, but they feel so overwhelmed. They don't know where to start. So what I always like to do is, like I said, I go in, I pull back the covers, I lift up the gown. Before you can solve a problem, you have to fully understand the problem. Because a lot of times what's happening on the front line, the administration team, they don't really know. They don't know what's happening on the ground level. So what we do is we go in, we figure out what's going on. And then based on what we find, we make a recommendation. Now we do have a framework that we follow. We There are three areas that we focus on. One is strengthening the organization. So we take a look at policies, process. We look at curriculum. So when you're bringing in new people, are you talking about behavior? Because you had mentioned before that they don't do a good job setting behavioral expectations. So we talk about that. This is how we treat each other here, okay? Right from the beginning. We actually get a committee together, uh, multidisciplinary that oversees you know, culture change. So there's a lot involved in strengthening the organization as a whole. The second part is we take a look at equipping our frontline leaders with the skills and tools that they need to set behavioral expectations and hold their people accountable. Because I was a frontline leader before, and let me tell you, nobody's teaching us how to have a conversation with our best employee, when I say best, clinically best, who is toxic. So that's what we do. We equip those frontline leaders. And then the third is, you know, you can't just sit around a table with a group of leaders and say, well, how are we going to handle this? You have to involve your employees as part of the solution. So the third is we empower the employees to get involved. So somebody once said to me, it was uh, the medical director at a hospital where I was doing, you know, this um, intensive work. It was, uh, gosh, we were there three years doing this work. And the reason we were there three years is the first year was in the hospital and it was so successful. We spread it out to all the ambulatory care centers, which took another two years. But he says, oh, I get it. So it's a top down, bottom up and everything in between approach. I said, Exactly. Because, again, you can't just focus on one piece, check a checkbox and say, "Okay, we've taken care of the problem. So first, we have to figure out what's really happening. And then second, we take a look at that framework and then where the greatest need is. You know, we start there, which generally speaking, Tabitha, involves equipping those frontline leaders. We usually start there. No, that definitely sounds like an approach. You have to take it from all angles, you know, Um just like the way you would take a differential assessment of a patient, you have to look at it as, okay, what are the possible causes and, and, and rule everything out and get you down to your nitty gritty to see what you can fix first, right? Treat the life-threatening <laughs> items first or, or educational or, or like organizational life-threatening things because turnover and, and money, losing quality employees because of bad behavior in the workplace is really just a never event, right? It shouldn't be happening. Um, I mean, like I was saying, in our adult lives, we spend more time at work. I can't imagine the anxiety someone who is 
being bullied or getting in civil treatment feels as they prepare, right? Because it can actually cause physical and mental harm when someone's being bullied at work or they're in an incivil organization, what would be a good first step to take? Mm -hmm. Um, I always say, first of all, identify the behavior. Um, If I, if I thought you were bullying me and I walked up to you and I said, you're bullying me, you're a bully. uh, What does that mean? That's not helpful. Okay. But first is to get crystal clear on what this person is doing. So you identify the behavior. Is this person yelling at you in front of people? Is this person um, setting you up to fail by um, deliberately giving you wrong information? Is this person refusing to give you report? Okay, so what is this person doing? So identify the behavior. And what I always say comes next is then you name the behavior. You're yelling at me. You just called me an idiot in front of people. Um, I just, I want to give you a report on this patient and you turned your back to me. Okay. So it's naming the behavior. And another piece of this is, Tabitha, is I always say start a documentation trail. As soon as somebody starts treating you in your way that in, you in a way that you believe is harmful to patients at some point. So start a documentation trial, even if you never have to turn it in. The key is that you're building a case. Now, if you get to the point where this is a pattern of behavior, then it's so important that you reach out and talk to someone. I always say, you know, talk to maybe a coordinator in your department, unless the coordinator's the problem. (laughs) Okay, go to your boss, unless your boss is the problem. Uh, in most organizations, there's somebody in an education role who you don't report to, and they can be a really great resource for you to reach out to, to let somebody know this is happening, to get their help. So it's first get really clear on what's happening. You know, what's the behavior? Name the behavior. I'm big on scripting. I'm a huge scripting uh, fan, and it's probably my most popular Uh, resource that I give to people. It's knowing exactly what to say to someone. Like, you know, um, I'm not sure you realize this, but sometimes you come across as intimidating. You know, just this morning, I was trying to give you a report and you crossed your arms and you tapped your foot or, you know, whatever it is. But, you know, help me to understand, you know, why it is that when I left here, you said everything was okay. And then I found that you were talking about about me behind my back, or I'm offended by that comment. I have a uh, YouTube video series called Coffee and Conversations about nurse bullying. And my favorite episode is when I interviewed my daughter, who's a school teacher, because uh, the same, you know, uh, concepts, principles apply in pretty much any industry. But uh, she was dealing with another teacher who would embarrass her in front of other people. And I said, the next time she does this, look her in the eye and say, I'm offended by that comment. And she did. And the video is really cute because, you know, it's, it's funny. She worked with that teacher for another year and a half. And the teacher never did anything like that again. So there are a lot of strategies. But the, the key is to always start with getting crystal clear on what this person is doing. Basically, yeah, like getting down to calling them out on this is what you're doing. This is how it makes me feel. And if they don't respond, then you can move through that documentation trail. Let's say a person takes these steps 
and they do go to like they get their documentation. They've called out the behavior. They reach out to their leadership, that educator, and they don't feel like anything is happening. What are the next steps um, before the person decides that, you know what? Screw this place. I don't need to feel anxiety. Yeah, I'm anxiety to get out of work um, and bounce to another organization that might have a better culture. Right. I um, have I get asked this question all the time. I've had so many people reach out to me and say I'm at my wits end. I've gone to my boss. Nothing's being done. First of all, I always say don't assume nothing's being done just because you don't know the results. So let's say you're working with somebody who's treating you in a way that's that's really cruel and you've documented, you've gone to your boss, you've done your part, you know, you've tried to address it and it continues. And again, you've gone to your boss and you have documented and turned in the documentation and you don't see anything happening. Don't assume that nothing's happening because the information is conf- like whatever they decide to do that to that person is confidential. Okay, they're not going to tell you, Okay, they got a written warning or they just got a final written warning or I suspended them. But it's just a paper suspension. You'll still see them like they're not they don't do that. However, chances are they may not be doing anything about it. What's really important and which is a huge missing piece that I find is in your documentation, You have to get really clear on how that person's behavior aligns with patients. How does it align with some type of potential risk to a patient? I don't know about you, but I'm not going to be wasting my time documenting eye rolling. Do you know what I mean? But if somebody refuses to take report from me, that's going to affect a patient. Or somebody's yelling at me in front of a patient that affects a patient. I'm going to include that. So make sure your documentation includes that type of alignment and then file a report, file a complaint with human resources. And here's why, because let's say something happens and maybe the bully turns around and says that they're being bullied by you. You want to have a record that you went to HR. You want to have a record that you complained about this situation. You want to file a formal complaint. And if nothing, you know, gets done after and you're still suffering, I always say, you know, you got one life. You have one precious life. That's when I'd be looking for another job. It's not worth it. People say, well, then let the, then the bullies win. I'll let them win. If you're suffering physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and you don't believe that anything's getting done about it, you can continue to fight. And I give you kudos to do that. But at some point, you have to make the decision on when enough is enough for you. No, I think you're totally right. You know, you you go through the steps and if you don't get success um, and you it's it's sometimes time to move on. You might actually end up in a better job in a better organization. And, you know, some people believe everything happens for a reason and, and you move on. Now, like I said, I speak a lot of a lot about culture and there are a lot of passive cultures like some of the Asian cultures. They don't necessarily always speak up when they're being bullied or like to doctors. They're just the respect level of, of that culture and it's ingrained in them, what should someone do if they observe incivility where that person is not going to empower themselves to say, hey, somebody's treating me badly? 
Yeah, I think that's a sticky situation because you mentioned, you know, it could be a, their culture not uh, to be more passive. I think we always have to look at our, we have an ethical responsibility to our public to make decisions based on what's best for the public. And if it, so it would depend on the behavior. If I felt that that behavior, even though it wasn't directed towards me, was impacting patient safety, patient quality of care in any way, then I have an ethical responsibility to speak up. You know, and, and actually the most powerful intervention to stop the cycle of bullying is for the witness to speak up, not the target. It's for the witness to speak up on the target's behalf. And that's a scary thing to put yourself out there because it makes you very vulnerable. But again, I, I, I would ask everybody to take a step back and say, if your mom was, you know, the patient, would you speak up? I bet you would. And so we have that ethical responsibility. Do you think this is a worldwide issue or just an American healthcare culture issue? Oh, my gosh. It's a global issue. It's global. I have people reaching out to me from all over the world um, asking for help. Uh, Australia is, uh, uh, and I pray for all of them right now going through the bushfires, but uh, there's a lot of, about focus right now on bullying in um, Australia, the UK, New Zealand is another country that's really um, in the, the on the hot seat right now, looking at disruptive behavior. Canada is another one. I mean, you know, the United States. Um, I don't know any country that's immune to this problem. Or somebody who's a current leader, or someone who wants to be a future leader. Um, how can they prepare themselves? to handle these situations of incivility in the workplace and, and manage them? Well, first of all, you can't expect people to adapt their behavior if they don't know their behavior needs to be adapted. So I always say it starts with heightening awareness. And you heighten awareness by having honest conversations with people. It's like, look, we may give really good care here, but the way we treat each other is not okay. Or have a conversation with that toxic clinician by saying, look, you may be excellent at what you do, but you're mean to people. And that's not okay. Like, I need you to be a professional role model, too. So it's being very honest. And sometimes even heightening that awareness can be just naming the behavior. I just saw you roll your eyes at her. Or you're yelling right now. You're cursing. Because, oh, my gosh, the potty mouths in healthcare. I hear people dropping the F-bomb and the S-bomb and the B-bomb. And people are just not being very professional. And so it's, it's heightening awareness of behaviors that truly undermine a culture of professionalism and respect. And once you heighten the uh, awareness, then it's about getting together as a department and setting behavioral expectations, creating the vision for the type of culture that you want to create. As the leader, you say, here's what I want to create, professional, supportive, respectful workforce culture. What does that look like to you? And then you get your employees involved and in getting clear on the behaviors that you want to see. They need to start confronting bad behaviors. Leaders use silence as a strategy all the time. And then it's about the hard wiring and uh, sustaining that culture once you get there. And that includes things like how do you hire people? You know, one bad apple ruins the bunch, right? So. Well, you got to make sure that you're hiring the right people. Don't hire for skills. 
higher for character, higher for behavior. So that's just, those are some of the things that we focus on. Yeah, because I, I mean, as long as you have somebody who fits the organization and they might be a little bit less skilled, you can upskill them to what you need. But it's harder to, you, know, you can't change someone's personality and make them fit. Exactly. I just wrote an article not too long ago about, is this something you can train? Like, can you fix or do you need to fire them? And there are certain characteristics that, no, 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 you can't fix this. Like, this is an integrity issue, okay? This is a character flaw. Like, I had a leader telling me that she found out her assistant manager was falsifying the reports that she had to send in that looked at their quality scores. She took the one after she delegated it to her six months before. She took that report and she just changed the date and sent that in every single month. And I thought, and she's like, and I said, well, and there were, she gave me about six other examples of things that she was doing that was just really inappropriate. Like the, the people were drowning and she's sitting there having a, you know, conversation with somebody on Facebook. Um, I said, this is not something you fix. Somebody stealing somebody, you know, with overt cruelty. These are character flaws. You, You don't train these. So again, think in terms of you can teach anybody almost any skill, but you can't teach character. And then for those interested in getting hold of you and the Healthy Workforce Institute that might be saying, hey, you know what, we have this bad behavior and we don't know where to start. Because again, you're right. It gets very overwhelming and trying to pinpoint where is the best starting point when you're trying to change a culture. It's very difficult. Yeah, it's 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 definitely not easy. And that's why um, we're actually not always looking for every single organization to reach out to ask for help. We want an organization that understands that the way their employees treat each other is just as important as the care that they provide. And from there, we just start with um, trying to figure out what they currently have in place. And then we customize everything that we do for that organization and really see the leaders there as a partner with us. So if anybody's interested, uh, I would just say, hop on my website. There's um, an assessment that you can take that'll give you sort of a snapshot on how healthy is your work culture when it relates to disruptive behaviors. And then sign up for our, uh, you could be a subscriber. We have three different um, portals, either it says a nurse, but if you're a respiratory therapist, it's the same thing, uh, a leader or an executive. And then you can schedule time to talk with me or somebody on my team and we can figure out what would best serve you and your organization. And then I'll plug that your book Enough is on Amazon. So if anybody's interested in just reading that they can do that. So Dr. Thompson, I really loved having you on. I think it's it's very important we talk about the elephant in the room of bad behavior in the healthcare workforce. Bullying and incivility isn't something that kids are just doing to each other. And it should be a never event in healthcare. Uh, So I really appreciate your time and hopefully this um, helps the audience in understanding some of the differences between bullying and civility and and 
being accountable because they're they're very different things but some people feel like they're being picked on exactly well it's been a true honor having the opportunity to, to talk with you about this issue and to have this opportunity to speak to all of your listeners out there as well so thank you great thank you very much and you guys we're looking forward to some new uh, and other speakers coming on soon thanks bye